Welcome to the Evolvepreneur podcast channel, which is sponsored by Evolvepreneur.biz, a new online community-based platform designed to help develop your skills and knowledge to be massively successful in this new digital age. Your host today is John North, who is a three-time number one international best-selling author and strategic marketer. John's passion is to help business owners to master the online marketing world. Okay, welcome to the Evolpreneur podcast. Today I've got a very special guest, um, Andrew Henson, who comes from Nomad Capitalism. And we want to talk a little bit about um, having a different kind of lifestyle as opposed to being in just one country and, and the tax implications and all that sort of stuff. So it's quite an interesting kind of subject. So we'll talk to Andrew about that. So welcome, Andrew, and thanks for coming along today. Oh, it's good. It's great to be with you. Great. Um, so where do you where do you live now? As an interest out of interest, actually, because it's probably part of the topical conversation. <laughs> this, this is the conversation, right? It, yeah. Everyone else, uh, you know, your dad calls. You get the weather report. Uh, you know, in in, uh, in Cleveland, it was uh, seventy three, sunny, light breeze. Yeah. Uh, I get, um, uh, I get. You know, where are you? And so, yeah. what I've done over the last twelve years is shift from a. Um, you know, living in the United States and traveling a lot, or most of the time, to having no home to having a home and traveling most of the time and now having several homes and having my staff do most of the annoying travel for me. Um, so I'm in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia right. uh, and I'm about three weeks. I'm heading for uh, Montenegro. We have a, a home there and really enjoy that. Um, have a, we have a, a home in Tbilisi, Georgia, which is a country people I think that we kind of uh, really helped a lot of people discover. And, uh, you know, I think that one of the benefits of my lifestyle is, is uh, being able to, to, to not only invest in property around the world, but to say, okay, you know what, maybe I'd like to be in Mexico City for two months a year. Maybe I'll get a place there, and, and that's my fall place. So mm. it gives you a lot of lifestyle options. Right. That's amazing. So, um, so, so you, you run a business called Nomad Capitalism. Um, what, what did you create it? Was it something that you um, found out yourself and did it for yourself suddenly and then sort of expanded it? Or was it, was it something that um, started a different way? Nomad Capitalist has been uh, kind of like your, your, your title. I mean, it's been an evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was an entrepreneur from really, I guess, from, from being a kid. I mean, you know, selling, you know, made a magazine and sold it door to door when I was nine or 10 years old, you know, sold websites for people selling their houses door to door when I was 12 after I did that for my parents. Uh, and, and before, you know, realtor.com or whatever local websites existed. Uh, but my, as an adult, like the real money making stuff started around 19 and, um, you know, very quickly, very early on my kind of libertarian self, uh, was researching, you know, why am I paying so much tax? I'm starting to make money. It hit me like a ton of bricks, even though I'd already, st- I'd already, you know, grow up in a, in a politically minded household and I knew taxes were high. When you start making a six figure income in your business and it just whacks you over the head like a brick, it feels real for the first time. Yeah. It's actually interesting because a lot of the guys that are online entrepreneurs I've spoken to over the years and they've always come back and you've always get this email that they've just been hit with gigantic tax bill. They weren't expecting. Yeah obviously weren't expecting now they were trying to, and some have sent them out of business and, and the reality is I made a lot of money, but they never actually got to keep it. My greatest thing growing up was a financial education uh, from my family. And so I guess I knew it, but, it, but yeah, now that I'm working with people, it's always hard for them. Like I'm expecting my first big tax bill. All right, go back, deal with that, be miserable, then come back and see me when you realize it's real. Anyway, I, I uh, increasingly was traveling around the world. Finally, I sold all my businesses in the U S 
my kind of my main business in the broadcasting industry as well as some other investments. And I said, I, I don't even want to live here anymore. Um, there's so many more opportunities overseas. And I started what was then a blog, Nomad Capitalist. Um, and, and so it just became, by happenstance, the most organic thing I've ever done, uh, <laughs> where we started getting a lot of traffic. People asked me questions. How do I do this? Because it's a very opaque field. And up until we came along, it was just a bunch of guys in, with using stock photos and fake names and, you know, hiding in some, you know, faraway island. And, and people were saying, like, I run a real business. So I think that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the confluence of real business owners who realized, like your listeners, they can go anywhere in the world that they want. As I realized very early on, um, they're looking, they were looking for this kind of uh, transparent solution that didn't reflect the old, you know, bury your money under a Swiss bank kind of thing. Mm. Uh, that's kind of for the old paranoid person. And now you get so many people who aren't that and they want help. They don't want to pay 50% tax. They don't want to be stuck in one place, uh, but they want to figure it out. And so over time, we basically evolved to uh, offer what we offer. And, and I've now been studying for four years, you know, the behavior of people in this area uh, and what gets results. And so it's been very interesting. Right. So, I mean, yeah, it's interesting. It, it, probably because you were passionate about it at the time, it sort of, it shows on the blogs because a lot of people do a lot of stuff but they're not necessarily passionate about it and they end up wondering why it's not working. And it's obvious that it, you created a demand from the blog and then they started to kind of ask you questions. And I've been down that road before. It's kind of like sometimes you can't create a business until you understand what people want. And, um, yeah. So, um, Tell me what the, like the human side, like you talked a little bit about the, you know, living anywhere you want to live sort of thing. What is the human side of this and the consequences of that? Yeah. People, like obviously we'll get into a bit more depth about how, how they do this stuff, but let's say they, they want to be like you, they want to have different places around the world. What's, what's the, um, the consequences of that? Well, there's a couple of things that I would walk someone through. Um, we talk about this on the website. We talk about this in, in, in my book. Uh, the first part is the financial part. This is where you're paying taxes. This is where your company is, your banking is, all those things. Then there's where you're living, your residence. There's where your tax residence is. Right now, for you, it's probably the same for most people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, where you're a citizen of. Again, most of those people, it's usually the same. But those could be three different things. You could live in one place, pay taxes in another, be a citizen of another. Um, and, and by the way, I'm not saying give up your citizenship. Uh, mm-hmm. But then there's the investments. You know, Where do you invest? And so those are all the elements that we work on. Now, you can go and cherry pick. I have uh, a guy right now who's uh, selling a company for a lot of money. He's like, I want to go out and get a couple passports, give my son some opportunities, and let me make some investments all over the world. Uh, He does not want to leave the United States. He does not want to give up his United States citizenship. He does not care about saving money on tax. He's just tired of making 2% in the bank, and he wants to make sure his son has options outside of the U.S. through citizenships. So that's one guy, his lifestyle is not going to change other than he's going to have to pay a few lawyers we're going to connect him with to help him do these citizenships. And he's going to have to go and learn how investments in other countries work, which I'm going to help him with. Right. Um, but if someone wants to do with your, your listener and they want to say, well, I want to do the, the full nomad capitalist, move offshore, move my business offshore, choose my tax rate. You know, there's a human side of that. I've got a guy right now who it's uh, you know, we're bringing up some tough questions with him and his girlfriend because she likes the idea of travel, but she's kind of like one foot in both sides, <laughs> and he's ready to go. And so, um, 
you know, what I've learned is, as with anything, you've got to be committed and you've got to see the benefits because everything has a trade-off. You know what I mean? Yep. You probably cross um, everything, don't you? Yeah. yeah I mean, so if you want the ultimate in tax savings and you want to choose your own tax rate potentially down to zero for your business, uh, you're not going to do that sitting in Australia 12 months a year. And so <laughs> is it worth going somewhere else? Plenty of other good places. But is it worth leaving mom and dad or the dog or whatever to go and do that? Um, it's up to each person. Mm. So your customer base, is that predominantly online, the entrepreneurs are people that can obviously operate a business online. But I mean, the, nowadays it's a lot easier to even operate a bricks and mortar business on, you know, like over the, over the cloud if you've got staff, right? I do have a couple of those. And I remember, yeah, uh, I had a couple of bricks and mortar businesses I invested in towards the end of my time in the US. And, mm. and I just didn't want to be in them anymore. I I'd, I'd mm. sucked all the juice out of them that I thought I could suck and uh, just sold them. And, uh, but yeah, I, w I was going back and thinking, I, I think these days you can. Um, mm. I have a friend who, who still owns radio stations and I've been telling him to outsource some of this stuff to people who aren't even in his city. Yeah. Uh, you know, hire people for the work. So at that point, what's the difference if he lives there? Um, so I absolutely agree. We have a lot of online entrepreneurs. We have a lot of, um, of all stripes, a lot of traders, investors, um, a few people who run businesses on the ground, as you discussed, mm -hmm. uh, some people who run multinational businesses where they have operations in 12 countries, uh, some high net worth individuals, ultra high net worth individuals, guys selling their software company, uh, you know, whatever. Right. Because I mean, the thing I think at the end of the day is one of the things that I like, because I've got staff in different countries, and I find that stuff gets done while you're sleeping, which is good, right? So you get up the next day and someone's done work for you that you can then review and work on. You're not doing in real time where you're actually going to lose that, that opportunity. So I think the advantages of having people in different time zones makes a massive difference in the productivity of it and what you can get done. There's nothing better than waking up and saying, I've had to train people on this. I don't know about you, but I found mm -hmm. People have such a corporate, there's so many different things, and we don't have to go into all of them, but there's so many different things that people are programmed to do in yes. an employee situation. They're wonderful people. I've got an amazing team, but I've, you know, I'm, I'm instilling certain things that to me and probably to a lot of Westerners are important. But one thing is there's nothing better than for me to wake up and see a, a number of to-dos checked off the to-do list and to get a good update and mm -hmm. to, hey, here's what I accomplished. What a way to start the day. Yes, the stuff's already done rather than going, oh, what am I going to get them to do today sort of thing. Yeah, I think it's a much better way to go. And the other thing too, I think is we, we sort of talk to our staff is we don't really care if they work weird hours, start and stop and do that sort of stuff. It's about getting the job done. And I think that's something a lot of people um, in the early days probably struggle with is, is that really kind of working that straight time because I'll, I'll start late in the morning and then I'll, I'll go off and play squash at night time and then I might do an hour when I get home sometimes, but I'm, I'm sort of like spreading my day out. I'm not doing sitting there in the front of that desk for seven or eight hours trying to churn out something that isn't going to be that great anyway. I think that's part of the problem, this whole industrial concept that you have to work an eight-hour workday. <laughs> I, will, I will say this because I think that this is one area where people are already kind of doing the nomad capitalists. They're already planting their flag, as it were, with hiring people mm. overseas. Uh, I recently, I'm going to put out a, uh, a video on this topic. I, um, you know, I've been hiring people overseas for a long time, as have you. And, um, you know, my experience is, number one, the culture is going to be a bit different everywhere. That's part of why I've been a big fan of Eastern Europe uh, mm -hmm. over places in Asia, because sometimes in Asia, it's just too different. I mean, it doesn't mean it's bad or good. It just means this is, 
this isn't too much for me to adapt to or for them to adapt to because I just want to throw I just want to I want to be the guy who's like the politician walking down the hall in the TV show who just like hands the guy the file and says make it happen and then I walk <laughs> off to the meeting <laughs> into the sunset the culture that does that right yeah <laughs> and, and so like for me I, I found that that you need a bit more Western Eastern Europe I also found that you know sometimes in my experience you're probably better at this than I am, but uh, people want the structure. They, they're not entrepreneurs. They don't want to innovate. They're not right. yeah. going to innovate. Uh, but if you tell them what to do and say, here's your hours, get it done, I've, I've been able to work pretty well within that system. Mm. I feel like a lot of people who are living in a culture, um, if, if you're not hiring Westerners, you're hiring Eastern Europe, Asia, whatever, they're yeah. like, what is this? I can work whenever I want. I'll <laughs> <laughs> never work, right? <laughs> He'll pretend I've well, I got like actually a great app um, called Hubstaff that we implemented years ago, and it basically takes a, a screenshot every five or ten minutes of their screen and tracks yeah. their strokes, so we can actually tell exactly whether they're working or not. And we caught a couple of people out over the years where they've basically, you know, gone off and watched YouTube all day and not done any work, and and we've been able to do that. So I think if for me, it's always great, yeah, you give them some flexibility, but if they don't cope with it very well, then you've got to structure them because then, then they won't get anything done and it'll be the opposite of what you're trying to achieve. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah, but it's very interesting with us because they start taking it as a bit of a game because the software tracks the productivity based on the keystrokes and mouse movements. And so what's happening then is they're actually seeing a sort of a target. It says, oh, you're 75% active or whatever. And we had to make that adjustments based on what was doing, like a programmer might not be active for, for half an hour while he's trying to think about something. Um, whereas a web designer should be, you know, essentially designing and moving the mouse around a bit. And so it was a great, great way for me to be able to keep track because it's one of the things people will rip you off. Like you will, people who give too much flexibility will take the whole lot. It is a delicate thing. And I think that, um, you know, I, I try and strike a balance between, uh, being honest and being transparent. And I think those things are obviously very important. Um, uh, obviously, uh, there are challenges in, in doing any of this stuff. When you go, I mean, I look at people where I come from in the United States, they travel overseas. They're like, why are they doing things at all differently than we do it? It's like, because everyone does things differently if they're not Americans. And so I try and strike the balance between, you know, putting out that stuff, but also not scaring people away because it's all achievable. But if you're going to go invest in a different country, I talk about investing in frontier markets. You know, you're in Australia, for example, I believe. And so, you know, like returns on property are very low. And so, um, you know, where can you go and invest more? Well, there's lots of places, but you have to adapt. Same thing with hiring people. I mean, you have to adapt to the way things work there and everyone's got their own system. And so um, I think if you look at it from that perspective, you'll do very well. Yeah, so I mean, I guess the secret of that is to be open-minded about it. Don't just think that your way is the only way, I think, at the end of the day. Yeah, and, and know what you want and, and know how you're going to do it and have a plan. And I think be very good at communicating. And I suppose probably not that much different in terms of how you need to communicate and what you need to be aware of than if you're hiring locally. Mm. But if you, just, if you just don't, if you just think everyone's like you that's, or, and every place operates like you, that's not mm -hmm. going to work. There's lots of benefits, but there's also a learning curve. Absolutely. So I'm going to ask you some, some uh, tricky questions now about sure. what you do so we get some education here because it was quite interesting when you're talking about this thing because I, I think a lot of entrepreneurs like to travel, but the downside of it is that you end up like you might go somewhere and you're going to an event or something like that 
you never really get any time off and then you go home. And so you haven't really traveled because all you've seen was inside of a hotel room. And so you, what you're talking about is a very different kind of scenario where you're actually you know, living or immersing in that kind of local community. So there's a thing I saw on your website, you talk about a second set of citizenship. How does that kind of work? Like I know that a lot of people can have like second, like, you know, for us, I think we can have an English passport if we want because we're a part of the part of that um, that uh, side of the world. But how does the kind of second citizenship kind of play into it um, and what you do and what strategy do you employ when someone, say someone comes to you first up, what's the kind of steps that they have to go through? Is that second citizenship, that kind of thing? Or Yeah, well, I, you know, we just put out a new um, video on, on four ways to, to get a second passport. I mean, here's the thing. Uh, there are numerous reasons why you'd want a second citizenship. Um, if you're from a country like the United States that taxes you and, and has tax filing requirements no matter where you live, then you, want, you might want a second citizenship as either an active or um, an insurance policy for, for getting out of that. So you can li live overseas as a, as a U.S. citizen and still save a significant amount of tax. Um, but if you want to just totally go to zero, um, there are some ways you can do that in Puerto Rico, but, but for most of us, no. So if you just want to totally go to zero without all the rigmarole and have the freedom to travel around the world and you're a U.S. citizen, um, you might want a second passport to deal with that. For everyone else, it's more of an insurance policy. I had the gentleman recently who came and said, I want my child, uh, who's a U.S. citizen, to have the opportunity to do different things and go different places. Mm -hmm. And so, wow, what a great opportunity to be an EU citizen and have access to that. May not be the best tax planning strategy, but if you're saying I want my child to have job and university and and learning and lifestyle opportunities, what a great thing to give him! And so, mm. um, if you have a parent or grandparent or great grandparent, in some cases, there are a number of countries around the world that will say, "Okay, uh, we'll give you citizenship." So Ireland or Italy or or um, I mean, a lot of countries. It depends on how many generations you go. Mm. That's the, I mean, yeah, I mean, the thing is, it's a global community at the end of the day. I mean, people have come from different places. and at yes. the end, uh, It's actually interesting in politics in Australia, just re um, the last few years, there's been a whole thing that you have to be an Australian citizen and to be in politics, to be a to be um, you know, a senator or whatever. And, and there was a cases of these people that actually were also had citizenship in England or Ireland or whatever. And they were actually um, taken out of this, out of their job and had to, to basically get rid of their citizenship and actually run again, to get back in <laughs> because they, basically the ruling, it was a, it was a very old rule that nobody ever applied, but the like the other opposition wanted to try to, um, you know, un unearth the government a bit, and because it was very tight, they could if they get rid of a few seats, they might get more control. So it was a real nasty thing to do. But basically, because they, because everybody, you know, in Australia, particularly, like we represent like two hundred twenty countries. You know, you you probably got some background somewhere else. You probably got another passport somewhere else, and um, and that all wasn't allowed. So you know, they got themselves into trouble. But and but yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Everybody's got some background somewhere else, presumably, and like you know given that it was only a few hundred years where people lived. So so, um, so one of the questions I asked you when we were talking pre-chat was what your, your strategies, will they work outside of, say, USA? So, um, like, say, for Australia, for example, um, you know, how does your strategies match up? Is there a better or worse situation if you're not in the US or is it doesn't matter? Um, the US offers people a bit more flexibility in how they travel and in what they need to do when they're traveling. 
mm-hmm. uh, within the U.S. always keeps you in their clutches. And so that's why the second passport has generally been more, more common for, for folks in the U.S. Uh, second passports are still wildly more popular for folks from Russia, China, the Arab world, India, et cetera, who, who just don't have the travel and they want that protection from their government which I know a lot of us Westerners, we, we say our government's falling up to shreds and it's becoming a kleptocracy, and the, but we don't really mean it. Like, we don't back it up with action. We just like to whine. Yep. Um, and so if you're an Australian, do you need a second passport? Probably not. doesn't mean that you don't need a second residence or a tax residence. And so, yeah, um, you know, my focus, because I know it, and I think that's important in a business, mm-hmm. my focus is helping people who are Westerners. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I do, uh, primarily, you know, from the Anglo world, yep. um, because I get it and we all kind of think the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so absolutely. Yeah. If you're an Australian, um, again, could you open an offshore bank account just to diversify your money and add some asset protection and hold different currencies and earn higher interest rates? Yeah, you can do that. You don't have to move. Can you get a second passport to protect yourself or give your kids more opportunities or, or have a place to go? Yeah. Could you um, move your business offshore and choose your tax rate? Yes, you're not gonna sit around in Australia full-time to do that for 99.9% of business owners, Mm -hmm. uh, if you're not Starbucks generally. Uh, But could you do that? Absolutely, and we have a lot of people who do that, and and some, they wanna pay zero. Others wanna be able to go and live a more European lifestyle. They wanna pay five, seven, eight, 10%. So yeah, this is really for, for anybody and I think the benefit you have being a Western citizen is you already have good travel freedoms. Mm, mm. And, and obviously get into those countries. So, um, and, and I noticed on your website, you talk about zero tax countries that basically if you um, have your residency in those countries, obviously you don't pay any tax at all. Yeah. I mean, so there's, yeah. There's a strategy where, again, what, what people do is they, they take every, you know, let's say there's, there's 50 different pieces that we could move in different places. Again, mm-hmm. one piece could be open a bank account. That's all. Okay. But let's say you wanted to do as many of the 50 pieces as possible. Most people are doing those in one country. Right. It's all in Australia. Yep. Everything is in Australia. And so what I'm saying is um, your country of residence could be a place you like to spend some time as a base, but not enough time to where you're going to be taxed or they're not going to tax you because they don't tax foreign income for your company. And right. then you can have your tax residence somewhere else, but they're going to have no tax on foreign income as well. But you're going to say, Hey, that's where I file my tax return. The tax return happens to have zero or 1% or something. And that's a different country than where I'm actually living. Oh, and by the way, I'm a citizen of Australia, or maybe I got a second citizenship somewhere else or whatever. They can be entirely three different places. And so the challenge, I think, is, is kind of explaining to people, right now, your residence is Australia, your tax residence is Australia, your citizenship is Australia. What if none of those became Australia or one of the three became Australia, and then they were all different? Mm. That's when you start to really get the benefits and the freedom of being in control rather than letting life and letting government happen to you. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. So what's the normal process of somebody says like, um, you know, like I understand you can also buy property in those countries and there's lots of different, like there's no property tax sometimes mm. um, and that sort of stuff that's saving you money. Um, mm. Obviously there's must be a lot of complexity around moving money between countries and stuff like that as well, I guess. Like I know in Australia, if you, if you, move more than $10,000, they want to know about it. 
And so does that encounter a problem when you're trying to move, like if you're buying property, is that a, a big issue to have to con- do or are you really trying to establish that offshore bank account so you don't have that problem? Well, I think that the key is uh, telling people everything that we're talking about is legal. Obviously, I'm not uh, giving legal or tax advice in anyone's particular country. Um, sure, that'd be tough in any country. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to speak. We got, Andrew, we got that one lister in Burundi. He screwed everything up. Um, but, uh, you know, can you move money from Australia? I mean, listen, some banks uh, could be more difficult. That's really a matter of bank policy. Now, mm-hmm. do they report certain money movements? Sure. But, you know, a lot of things get reported today. Uh, mm-hmm. We live in a surveillance state. So, I mean, your every move is reported, really. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean that you're going to jail or they're going to harass you. It just means, okay, they're aware this guy's moving money. Now, I'm not aware of the reporting requirements in every country your listeners in. I'll just speak to the U.S. There are requirements. There are a few forms to file. Any internationally minded tax professional should be able to handle them very affordably. Uh, but you need to file every year and report your bank accounts. Other countries have similar requirements. Not all do. But you want to make sure that, that you, are, you know, we're not talking about hiding money. We're talking about diversifying. And if there's a requirement for you to tell some agency, hey, I moved 50 grand over here, or hey, I've also got a house in here, then you should do that. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, having an offshore bank account could facilitate more easy money movements, but that's not because there's a law against it. It's because, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. When I sold my house in the US, I had uh, some profits, and the t- I was sitting in my house in Malaysia, and the title company, the woman at the title company, called and said, where should we send your, your 90 grand or whatever? Mm-hmm. And I said, can you send it to Singapore? And she's like, is that like a, the name of a bank? Or is that like a guy's name or something? Like, what, what is this? Um, and so the U.S., uh, occasionally someone wants to send us money, and they're like, it was such a pain. Mm. Not because the U.S. government doesn't let you send money to do business overseas or buy a house. They, they understand that happens. But sometimes just, it's just a matter of the guy at the bank is really dumb. Mm. <laughs> so, so that's what you're protecting yourself against and i call that the operational side sometimes i'll tell someone open up a couple of bank accounts overseas if you need them because there might be one day when you got to send some money and you just got to deal with a guy who's dumb and you don't want to be beholden to that one guy uh it's nothing nothing any bigger than that yeah it was quite funny when i bought my house in in sydney we went to the bank to get um the money to pay for the house and the bank couldn't clear the money in time. So it's like, oh, it's going to take us three days or whatever. And I said, but i got to settle today. And they go, well, we can't do that. Or tomorrow. And we said, can't do that. So we actually had to take out $300,000 in cash and walk it down um, from one shop to another, basically. <laughs> um, it's the only way to do it. Because it was, and it's like, you know, the um, it's risky, obviously. Something could mug you on the way, I suppose. With the, the you, you'd be friend. my story, because I remember I've told the I, I've bought numerous properties in the Republic of Georgia, probably you know, well over a dozen now. Uh, and and the, but the first time, people don't realize, as you're saying, some of these countries you go to, people are like, "I want to pay it in cash." Okay, great, I'll send you a wire. No, I mean like cash. Yeah. <laughs> and I took out a really small first deal, which is what you should probably do to start. Mm. Took out twenty-two thousand dollars, and I'm talking to my, uh, I'm talking to the lawyer. He's like. Andrew, this is not a problem. You will go with the other attorney and he will walk. You will go uh, one kilometer. He is black belt. If someone comes, watcha. <laughs> and, and I'm just thinking to myself, like, I've never put $22,000 in my breast pocket and just walk. It's like you're looking at everybody like maybe he's a spy. And <laughs> he becomes the enemy. <laughs> but $300,000, that's serious. 
that's serious cash, right? And it was only, luckily it was only like I think it was in the same shopping center. Actually, I think we walked. Oh, in, but, you know, still a bit scared. I think um, from memory, I think one of the guys in the bank walked us down with it. I can't remember now, but it was just kind of bizarre. It's like, okay, well, just give us the cash. And luckily, they had three hundred grand with the cash. I think they had to go. Which, which is amazing. But by the yeah. way, imagine, imagine as a as a as an engaged person, imagine how many decades you would hear about that if the three hundred thousand dollars was 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 taken. Oh yeah, you could be like twenty forty seven. Remember that time when you. <laughs> You were lost walking it. in the shopping center and you had the three. Uh, exactly. Your father, you wouldn't believe. Uh, it's funny. I mean, I, when I think about it, so like you think about the likes of Apple and, and those guys, they have, they have um, co- corporations and companies in like Ireland where they have zero tax rates. And um, it's like in Australia, um, Google, I think it was, they build out of Ireland like Facebook and stuff and then they had, development in Australia for Google where they actually did the development here and in in Australia we actually give them money back for the losses so they're actually able to claim all some um, development costs here in Australia make a loss and there was a big thing in the newspaper about oh Google's made a loss in Australia it's because because they deliberately did it so they can get a tax benefit <laughs> um, and so you, you know these guys you, when you look at these guys they're, they're very good at it because um you know that those corporations have grown probably from in size due to the fact of low taxes. I, I will, I will say, um, and listen, I, I think the government wastes money. I was just talking to um, one of the charities that I uh, work with. I'm a big believer in charity. And I, and I think that giving a much smaller percentage of my income to charities that I research and, and believe in and go and visit mm. is far more impactful in the world than giving half my money to the government. Uh, to go and kill people and do all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, but there is intimately a difference between uh, an online business owner who says, I'm going to go and live in Malaysia where they've got a very friendly tax policy and I'm going to set everything up on all sides that Australia's happy, Malaysia's happy, my, my company, wherever that is, is happy, my banking, my, my money movements, it all works together as one piece. You know, uh, I'm not going to say people should pay if, if that's what the law is. Politicians make the law. If you don't like the law, if, you know, change the law. Yeah. Uh, but that said, I think obviously what we're talking about is we're not gonna, we're not really going and having huge offices in Australia, the U.S., whatever. We're doing it overseas, and we're not using the services. Mm. You know, I, I mean, I, as a U.S. citizen, I ultimately decided not to be a U.S. citizen for a number of reasons, partially emotional and, and just personal. Uh, but it's like, why am I filing all this paperwork and being burdened, even if I don't owe anything? Mm. Uh, I don't use this. I don't go there for a single day. It's just kind of insulting. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I, I, I think that for people who may be concerned that this is some kind of lecherous strategy, mm. I'm not saying you sit around in Australia 365 days a year and keep driving on the roads and, and taking the taking the uh, the tax breaks. I'm just saying go where you, my five magic words Go where you're treated best for whatever it may be. Because mm, mm. obviously, in, in, in each of those countries, that generally speaking, they don't do those things by accident. They don't. They've done it deliberately to encourage people to do it. And I mean, that's what governments do anyway. Ultimately, and like they'll bring something out to encourage people to do it. Um, there are countries I call one and a half world countries, kind of playing on this parlance of we call things first world or second world or third world. They're in the middle mm. uh, of first and second. Uh, and there's a number, there's a handful of them where, yeah, their job, they want to, they want to tax domestic investment, the domestic construction business, the domestic oil business, uh, salaries, 
But if you come in and you're not one of them and you just hang out and you've got money coming from somewhere else, wherever that may be, hey, man, what do we care? And, and in Malaysia, I'm paying more in sales tax or GST or whatever you want to call it than the average person pays in income tax. I'm not even here full time. Mm-hmm. And I'm buying expensive real estate. I mean, so it mm-hmm. is a great deal for them because otherwise they might not be here. Well, there's no investment locally then. You're like, that's hard to get investment in. Absolutely. And most governments pay lip service to it. So there are places where you can go where they actually want your investment and they'll say, you know what, we'll leave you alone. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So um, if someone was going to do something like this, is there sort of a, a, an income level that they should be at or, or revenue level they should be at before they attempt it? Because obviously if you've, if you've got low income, you're going you're gonna to run into a lot of trouble, right? I mean, you've got costs involved in doing all this, but at the end of the day, you also need to fund it, right? Because, I mean, can you borrow money easily for, for property in those kind of countries sometimes? Or? Yeah, that's the one thing. that beca- There's a few things that become difficult. So uh, in some cases, uh, having all the points earning credit cards becomes difficult because sometimes you got to shut some of that stuff down where you're from. Uh, the U.S. is an exception, actually. So I still, I'm not even a U.S. citizen anymore. And I called my credit cards and they said, well, you know, we don't really care if you're a citizen or not. You got a social security number. You got a credit profile. You've been a customer for 10 years. So I'm still running around using my U.S. credit cards. Mm. Um, that situation varies place to place, but that's one thing people have a hard time emotionally parting with is the points. It's like I'm saving 43% in tax, but I want my points. <laughs> you, keep your points. Um, <laughs> you can't the points use with the tax savings. <laughs> you just got an extra $2.7 million in the next 10 years. Mm. Um, you can buy enough. You can buy your own flights. Uh, mm. The other, the other piece um, is exactly what you mentioned. And so, um, uh, you know, I, I, what is the income level for me kind of 250,000, uh, and up us is, is kind of what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, because I like to really, you know, dot the I's and cross the T's. I mean, I'm getting lots of formal tax people involved. Um, and it's a lot cheaper than, than KPMG and we do a lot less blathering and BSing, mm-hmm. uh, than a big four accounting firm would do. But, um, uh, you know, it's, it's not, it's not $10. Mm-hmm. And so if you're making less than a quarter of a million dollars, uh, could you go offshore? Yeah. Like if you're a freelancer making 80 grand, yeah, I think that's worth it. Um, just understand the ROI is going to take a bit longer because here's you're the reality. Tax anyway, at the end of the day, like if you're not earning a lot of money, you're not paying a lot of tax. Well, that's true. That, that's true. And so here, here's, here, I'll give you kind of my, my, my human answer. Uh, and then I'll just kind of go into a few numbers. When the pain of doing nothing, you know, becomes more than than the pain of doing something, yeah. uh, it's going to be painful. I mean, because on the money side, let's just take Australia. People think, oh, if I spend fewer than 183 days in Australia, I'm good. No, no, no. That's one of four tests. Mm-hmm. There have been people who they do everything right except they keep a storage locker on rent and they get dragged back into the tax system. And three years they have to go back and pay. Yeah, redo all their taxes. Yeah. So, so 20 years ago, maybe it was even 10 years ago, it might have been just, oh, he wasn't here 183 days, we'll let him go. But mm-hmm. now with such a proliferation of this stuff, plus better technology, plus government oversight, plus they're broke, plus everything else, you know, it becomes more complicated. And so I understand that there are people on forums who say, why do you need to listen to Andrew? You just go out and you just leave your country and you just travel around as a nomad and just make sure that you're keeping things kind of clean. Mm. And it really doesn't work that cleanly anymore because everyone's out to get you. The bank's going to say, where do you pay tax? And if you say Australia, now they're going to report your account to Australia. And Australia's going to say, oh, 
uh, well, you must be living in Australia then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, so there's so many questions, there's so many checks, it has to be done properly. And so I may not be the most affordable guy, I think I'm the most thorough guy. Uh, for me, it's 250 and above. I think maybe in the low six figures you could do it, but, but what I don't want you to do is, is go out and just do it wrong mm. uh, because everyone says how easy it is. Yeah, it, It's easy enough if you know what you're doing, but just to say I won't be in Australia most of the time is no longer the answer. Mm. Mm. It makes sense. Because at the end of the day, like, it's like anything now, the complexity of, of doing anything, nothing's easy anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's like even the simplest things you want to do is not easy anymore because of all the laws and stuff that have come around it. So I think, yeah, I mean, obviously, and there's probably a time frame in what you're doing too, obviously, you know, if, if you've got to also go around all the paperwork of these various countries. And I mean, I know we had people come in what we call uh, 357 or 457 visas in Australia where they come and work for us. Um, the last person we did that a long time ago took 18 months before they actually could move here because of the process. So obviously this is a long, could be a long-term thing that might take, you know, several could even take a couple of years before you could get it in place, right? The, the, well, the good news is if you if you go where you're treated best, as I say, we're not going to go to a place where it takes two years. I mean, which is obviously Australia or America, where they're going to make it hard for you to come here to a degree. Whereas other countries, they might say, "Oh, your paperwork's processed." I got my first dose of this recently. We had a guy; he was in a very kind of weird situation, kind of stuck in the middle. And I said, "You either need to just totally be out of the U.S. because he wasn't a U.S. citizen; he was a green card holder." Mm. I said, you, you just need to get rid of the green card or you need to become naturalized as a citizen. And he's like, well, I'm going to pay a bit more and have a few more hassles and, and let's just naturalize. So that way I have the U.S. citizenship under my belt and I can get rid of it later if I want. Mm. Uh, and I just, I'm like, it's, it's like a two-year process. I'm like, my God, I haven't seen anything. We go and we set someone up with a residence permit. Sometimes it takes a month or two months, maybe three months. Uh, you know, we do citizenship by investment for folks who want that. I'm a, I'm a citizen, mm-hmm. for example, of St. Lucia. It took like five months. You get mm-hmm. a citizenship. You know, mm-hmm. you're doing lots of due diligence in there, but you mm-hmm. get a citizenship in five months. And Not so, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this whole kind of Western system, it works for some, but it's, it's, a, it's a real buzzkill on business. Mm. And obviously, there's a cost factor and things can change in five months too. Like, you know, the business can change the direction over that period of time as well. So, okay, it makes sense. Um, one last question I got there and I noticed the website and I actually didn't read into it was a five flag theory. Hmm. What was that? Well, so five flag, this is something, there was three flag, uh, three flag theory, then there was five flag theory. Uh, this was a system developed uh, decades ago. Uh, by some folks back when this kind of lifestyle was accessible to the ultra wealthy who had yachts and they were going around with their Louis Vuitton trunks and that kind of thing. Um, and the idea was you would plant different flags as I'm saying. So, okay, you would uh, have your business established in one com- country, generally a tax haven. You would be a, a, a resident on paper of a country that didn't tax you personally. Mm-hmm. You would, as a third flag, spend time in what they called playgrounds and be in different places. You know, you'd bank in different countries, what they called asset havens. Uh, and you'd be a citizen of a country that didn't bother you as well. And so the idea was go and plant a fat flag in each country based on which one treats you best. Mm-hmm. And so I think now there are uh, an immeasurable number of flags that are possible. I think there's, um, but I think the point is, as I said earlier, right now everyone's got one flag planted for the most part. Most people in the world, their entire flag is planted in one country. 
And so if something happens or if the laws change or if the wrong politician gets in or just, you know, it doesn't have to be so dire just if something changes. Mm. Um, big tax reform in the United States, you know, a year and a half ago, first time in 31 years. Um, it hurts some people and it helps some people. If you're one of the ones it hurts and your flag is only in the U.S., you're screwed. Yeah, true. Mm. And so I would say now I wouldn't call it necessarily flag theory. I would just say go where you're treated best. For every single thing you do, what is the best place to do this? Now, again, mm. it should work together as a puzzle. It shouldn't be kind of each one's an island. They should all work together. Sure. But, you know, for me, I realized this at a very young age when I started traveling. Even before tax, I said, I get along socially and in, in, a, in, in a love relationship way with people who are not from the United States. Mm. And so I've, I don't think I've dated a single person from the United States, you know, since. It just didn't, it wasn't where I was treated best. It doesn't mean it's not where someone else is treated best, but it's just looking at every aspect of life. Mm. We're largely talking about financial, but I would apply it to anything in life. Um, where am I going to go where I'm treated best? And if you do that, you can kind of plant flags uh, mm. where the conditions are best. And, and again, you know, the tax haven that offers your company great benefits probably isn't a great place to live. Yeah, I don't know whether I want to live in Ireland <laughs> necessarily, right? I love fun. Ireland, but but yeah, I mean, it's it's, <laughs> it's not great for everything. No, but yeah, I think that what what you're saying there, you know, go where you're treated best is a very interesting kind of way of thinking about it. Because I think don't just do something because you know you, you you know you're gonna you're gonna get some tax benefits, but actually be look at the treatment or the or the obviously the human aspect of that or the emotional aspect of that as well. I think my approach to this and what I've learned having worked with hundreds of people and having observed myself do this over the last 12 years, because I've made a lot of mistakes and I've had to drastically upgrade my mindset. Mm. Um, and I've done that and it's been great being around the world and getting to learn a lot of lessons. I point the finger at myself a lot of times and I'm now kind of like the parent help, trying to help people avoid mistakes that I've made. Uh, mm. But what's interesting is you can have all that, you know, um, left brain analytical stuff you want of here's how to save tax, 0%, you know, all the savings. We're, we're human beings. We have to live a life that we love. And so listen, for some people, that's going to be California is the only place for me. I don't care if it costs me a gazillion dollars in taxes. Uh, I'm, I'm not moving. I got, you know, my, my mother-in-law's down the street, no can do. Okay. Maybe there's other things you can do to at least earn higher yields or, or, you know, whatever. But um, some people are never going to leave Sydney and that's fine. But what I'm trying to say is uh, to be open-minded about mm. it. And um, so do you see um, like a, just to sort of wrap up as a sort of a future yeah. kind of view thing, go, obviously you're looking at it. Do you see some, something down the track in, and I mean, this could be 20 years away or something, a more of a global citizen kind of approach to, for people rather than this concept of, you know, borders? Do you see that, that evolving into that more of a, make it easier for people to be more, more nomad? Or do you think it's, they're going to go the other way and make it harder? Um, In terms of governments and things like that? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I think that uh, it has to be something that you love as to whether uh, global citizens... Uh, it's interesting. I, I, I guess the way I, I see the world at this moment, who knows 20 years from now, I'm trying to plan five years from now, mm. uh, just operationally speaking for people. Um, I think you're going to have a small part of the world become more and more difficult and pushed back. Mm. Um, I think you're going to have a lot of countries that are opening up. I look at some of the, the citizenships that I have that are tier B. The visa-free travel for these passports has increased uh, 
dramatically just in the last year or two in some cases. Mm. Um, the world is opening up. Malaysia, Serbia, Georgia, Colombia, uh, many of the countries that we talk about, I think are going to go more in the direction of what you're talking about. I think that's going to be the, the, the five eyes countries, uh, perhaps the EU, although not as much, are going to push back and they're going to try and dig their heels in and become more difficult. I think the U.S. is going to be a more difficult place to go to. Uh, I think Australia will be right behind them. Mm. Um, so I think there will be kind of a schism. And I think what the, the wild card will be is what happens with Russia and China and other superpowers who can, poten can potentially take away some of the power that the U.S. and the U.K. and the Five Eyes countries have to, um, uh, to, to reduce that. Just as a quick, quick aside, uh, I'm a St. Lucian. I can go to the UK visa-free. Mm -hmm. Obviously, St. Lucia has an offshore banking sector, not a big one, but it has an offshore banking sector. Can the US government go to the UK and put pressure and say, hey, you gotta stop letting these Russians put their money in St. Lucia, we don't like it, Just take mm -hmm. away their visa-free travel. Mm -hmm. I think the wild card is gonna be, um, you know, other systems to the current kind of US-dominated system that make it even easier. If that happens, I think it's very bright future. I still think it's very bright, but I think that the thing that we Westerners have to understand is that just as our parents left where or our, our forefathers uh, left where they were to mm. come to where we are, that may be the move. Like if your country became such an authoritarian slash high tax hellhole, mm. you might just say, I don't need it anymore. Mm. Well, shit. And I think the thing is too, the, you know, the, the parents or grandparents, they moved, they took a lot of risks at the time too. Like they were basically pulling up stumps from one country to another. So there's a lot of, there's a risk in moving that, moving and then wanting, wanting to come back as well. So obviously um, sure. you're very prepared. And I think that's the thing with entrepreneurs, they're, they're risk takers anyway. So I think if you're talking about people who, who are nine to five jobs and they're never going to think about this sort of stuff because they're not risk takers. But when you look at an entrepreneur's kind of profile, you know, they're taking risks in their business anyway. So they're, they're probably thinking, well, okay, I'm happy with the risk. Two, two final thoughts are number one, you're exactly right. And I think that while I'm not suggesting this, I don't really run into people who want to do this. If you're the ultra risk taker who wants to go to some frontier market, I, I see people in places, I always talk about Cambodia, but I think Af some African countries, South America, you could make a fortune. I mean, I go to some of these countries, like opening a real estate agency would be like the, would be manna from the skies in these <laughs> countries, if managed properly. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, but, but more importantly, yeah, I mean, my grandfather uh, came from what was then Czechoslovakia right. and uh, he was in the, he was, you know, involved with the war and he was doing counterintelligence and he, had, and, and he had, to, he, he left and he went to the U S and he could never go back. Mm. And uh, I remember uh, as a kid, I mean, that saddened him and he would mm. show me the pictures growing up in, uh, in Brno and um, you know, but, but he had a life and he had children and well, he had grandchildren. He was not my biological grandfather, but he had, he had grandchildren and he had a spouse and family and that was his life. And, and I think that not living a life of regret is important. And so um, I think dipping your toe into some of this stuff is probably a good way to start. A little, bit, uh, a little bit, yeah, until you're, uh, you're comfortable with it. I, I guess it's with anything. Like, you know, if you take, if you go, suddenly change too many things at once, you know, it has re repercussions everywhere then. Yeah, getting, dipping your toe in so that you can make the commitment to yourself um, that, that you want to do this and see it work for yourself on a small level and then expand it to a bigger level. Absolutely.
Okay, so um, we've run about 45 minutes, so we'll have to, we'll have to wrap up otherwise, <laughs> which is good, we've done well. Um, so tell me, um, what's the best, if someone says, oh, hey, this is interesting, Andrew, I want you to help me, what, what would they yeah. do with you? I mean, I understand you've got a book which we can put links up for, which is obviously a place to start because I think your book's very comprehensive. Thank you. Um, so what would, they, what would their next step be? Do they, do they go to your website and what, what websites do they have? Yeah, so uh, the book is probably a great, you know, quote unquote, top of the funnel to use marketing speak because it's mm-hmm. about 300 pages long and it goes over all this stuff and it dispels some myths and it tells some stories and it's kind of written in a human way. It was a, a project I worked on for about two years. And I think a lot of people who've been successful in working with us started with the book in the last year because uh, it just gets you fired up or it gets you yeah. turned off and you go away and you're like, this, mm. this is crap. Yeah, good, good planning. It's deflecting the people that are going to waste your time anyway at the end of the day. Well, not, not even waste my time. Not even waste their time. But, but just like, I mean, yeah, I have people who for 20 years have been researching this stuff. It's like, dude, you don't want to do it. It's your cocaine. It's your cocaine habit. It's your porn. Hobby. It is. And so that's fine. But if, if so, the book is Nomad Capitalist. Uh, it's available on Amazon. It's a Kindle book. It's a, it's a physical book. Uh, it's been very uh, successful. I'm very proud of it. Uh, if you go to nomadcapitalist.com, we've got a lot of articles, uh, well over a thousand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've also got a button where you can click and you can click on, um, I, I just started being totally honest. I said like, become a client. Mm-hmm. Not that it wasn't honest before, but it's like work with Andrew or apply for it. It's become a client. Do you want to hire us? Let's not it, right? Let's, because you're not doing it because you want entertainment value. <laughs> well, yeah. And I think, I mean, like any business, right? You've got a lot of people who view this as that's kind of fun. What if I did that? How sexy would that be? Mm. And that's cool. We've got a whole process to make sure that we screen out people who uh, aren't a fit so that we can devote our time to people who are really serious about doing this and want uh, help. But nomadcapitalist.com. And, and again, there's, I mean, we have, I think, 500 videos now. We've got over a thousand blog posts. There's plenty of content out there to consume. Mm. But if you're that entrepreneur who, as, as I am, just wants to dive in and just be yeah. like, how do I make it work from day one? I'm, I'm sick and tired of paying a quarter million dollars in taxes every year. Mm. Uh, then you can go to the website and just click the green button. Yeah, makes sense. Cool. I really appreciate your time. I mean, um, when I first got a sort of contacted for, I sort of looked at it and thought, oh, that's a bit unusual. Now and it really fits into what... Um, what's happening in our marketplace. So I really appreciate your time for this. This is my entire life socialization strategy, by the way. Is it? <laughs> People see me, right? Well, it's a weirdo. The nice no, thing about it, there is, the reason why I like doing my podcast is I, I always, the first question I ask myself, will I learn something? Because I think sometimes if you have someone else to be a guest on the podcast, and you go, I'm not going to learn anything here. It's, it's going to be stuff I already know or whatever, but I always want to have guests who actually learn something. So if I learn something, obviously the listener then learns something. <laughs> And I think that's, that's a, good, it's a great entrepreneurial question. Yeah. Yeah. But I appreciate being on the show. Yeah. Great. All right. Um, well, thank you again for coming and um, we'll, um, we'll put this podcast out soon for you. And thanks again. My pleasure. You've just been listening to another great Evolvepreneur podcast interview. We hope you enjoyed it. Please visit evolvepreneur.biz today to find out more about our online community and how you can take part. 